What is it about Canada, and more narrowly Canadian courts, they don't get terrorism? Hi, this is Phil Gursky, President and CEO of Borealis Threat and Risk Consulting in Russell, Ontario, Canada, and you're listening to Quick Hits, short podcasts about national security. There was this iconic commercial that ran on Canadian TV way back in the 1970s. I'm sure a lot of you would have been born back then. And it was a commercial about Red Rose Tea, which was a black tea sold in Canada. And it's a scene taking some place in the United Kingdom where this very important official is being served a cup of tea. And he asks what it is. And the secretary, I assume it's what she was, says, well, it's Red Rose Tea, sir. It's only available in Canada. He takes a sip and he says, only in Canada, eh? Pity. (laughs) Kind of cute. And Red Rose Tea is... It's not the tea that I drink. Um, I take my tea, uh, tea Earl Grey hot, just like Captain Picard of the USS Enterprise. But the reason I want to start with this commercial from 50 years ago almost is that there's another pity in Canada. And the pity is our inability as a society in general to take terrorism seriously. Now, before I go on, I want to reiterate, as I have on many occasions, that terrorism is real. It's happened in Canada. It'll happen again. But it is not our most pressing problem, nor is it an existential threat to national security or public safety, as some people have said. I have long lamented against the use of the term war on terrorism because it made terrorism much larger than it actually is. And again, it it is serious. You go to countries around the world. I just saw a report that talked about the incredible rise in terrorist deaths in last year in, in Africa. It's like increased by a gazillion percent. I read regularity of attacks in Afghanistan and Pakistan and Iraq and Syria and Somalia. The list goes on and on and on. Again, you can follow me on Twitter if you want to keep up on the latest in terrorism developments around the world. So we here in Canada don't have to face this very often. But when we do, we tend to kind of fuck it up. There's a case recently that just ended, a court case, of a ISIS recruiter, a man called Also Pishtari, who was under trial for donkey's years, and uh, he finally decided to plead guilty, which was a surprise to me and many others, I I felt, because the defense was trying to basically get the case thrown out because of the involvement of a CSIS source, a source from the Canadian Security Intelligence Service who became an RCMP, Royal Canadian Mounted Police agent, and that would have basically taken the legs from under the crown, the prosecution's case, but in the other day, he ended up pleading guilty And because his uh, pretrial detention lasted so long, he waited eight years, eight years pending trial. God, only in Canada, eh? Pity. He's going to serve another 21 months, and that's it. Here's a guy responsible for a network of young men in Ottawa who end up joining ISIS, at least one of whom, John McGuire from Kempville, about a 20-minute drive from where I live ended up making some propaganda videos for the group, and he's believed to have been killed in Syria. So 21 months, in addition to time served, for sending men to their death for a terrorist group. That's it? We're okay with that? I've heard from one source uh, who shall um, remain nameless, and I haven't confirmed this, so I want to be very careful, that Mr. Peshdari, in fact, is kind of being seen as a hero for having said what he did. And he's, you know, in his court, in the end of his case, he said, and I quote, 
I understand that the full scope of my involvement in extremism has had a plethora of negative impacts. No shit, Sherlock. It undermined the fabric of safety held by general population. I betrayed my family. I betrayed the Muslim community. And then he said he thanked the Mounties for saving his life. That, that, that when they arrested him, it was God's favor to me. Okay. Um, Peshtari um, has a history before becoming an ISIS recruiter. In the mid-2000s, he was part of the Operation Samosa case in 2010, which was a plot to blow up probably a military repatriation ceremony. He was uh, arrested and charged uh, uh, with terrorism under that investigation. The charges were dropped. You would have thought that getting a second chance would have made he change his life. He didn't. He became a very, very obsessed jihadi. As his own sister says, he was addicted to jihad. Yeah, he was. And now, some experts are saying, well, he's been de-radicalized. Whatever the hell that's supposed to be. And, wait, it gets better. Uh, he's been diagnosed with PTSD after witnessing horrific events at the Ottawa jail pending trial. I guess those would be akin to the horrific events the Yazidis saw in Iraq and Syria because of ISIS rapes, ISIS enslavement, ISIS killing of people, ISIS beheading. Would it be the same kind of PTSD also? I'm really curious here. The bottom line here is that I'm just getting sick and tired of this namby-pamby, if that's the word, coddling of terrorists here in Canada. We tend to pay them massive amounts of money because they've been wronged. Uh, we, we have cases which are guilty verdicts returned and judges overthrow them on so-called entrapment issues. We had an op-ed piece in the Globe and Mail, Canada's former right-leaning newspaper, I'm not sure where it stands on the political spectrum right now, saying that the Toronto 18 case back in 2005-2006 was actually Islamophobia by CSIS and the RCMP. Where does this all go, folks? I don't know. Um, we have a government that doesn't seem to understand intelligence, ergo the uh, lack of attention paid to CSIS reporting for decades on Chinese interference in our society, including the last two federal elections in 2019-2021. Yeah, I'm I'm really at a loss for words. Now, look, I'm not arguing that we don't want the courts to rule independently on these matters. An independent court, court is the bedrock of a democracy. When courts are not independent, you run into problems. And they're often on autocratic states where the courts do the government's bidding, which should make a lot of people worried about what, what Benjamin Netanyahu is doing in Israel right now with the Supreme Court. Well, that's a whole other podcast. So we want our courts to rule based on the evidence that's provided. And sometimes when that evidence is tinted with intelligence, it becomes problematic. I understand that. What I'm arguing for, though, is that maybe we need to educate the courts. Maybe judges need to get a primer on terrorism and more narrowly Islamist terrorism. Maybe they don't understand it. We had a recent case about the repatriation of ISIS terrorists from Canada stuck in Al Hol and other refugee camps in Iraq and Syria. And the judge ruled that Canada must repatriate them and, and bought the line that the, def- that the defense I guess it's the defense in that case. People defended, their lawyers defending these ISIS terrorists, that these were innocent Canadians. The lawyers use an interesting phrase in the court to describe these ISIS terrorists. 
They called on Bolo, B-O-L-O-H, bring our loved ones home. Didn't call them ISIS terrorists. These are poor Canadians caught in a horrific situation in a camp, including young children, and it's not their fault, and we should just bring them back. And the chances are, and again, I've, I've talked about this in other podcasts and blogs, the chances of a successful prosecution are just about zero because we're not going to have the evidence and the witnesses to prosecute them. They should be prosecuted there under international jurisdiction if necessary. If all these court cases that seem to deny that terrorism is real and should be treated seriously, I don't get it. I don't understand why any country would want to do this. So uh, on the record, I am offering my services as a terrorism analyst, as the author of six books on the topic, as someone who worked on operations for 15 years, someone who looks and thinks and writes about terrorism on a daily basis. Any court at any level, any judge, any whatever judicial system that needs some training on what terrorism is all about, count me in. I'd be more than happy, maybe even pro bono. I shouldn't have said that out loud. I would love to talk to these people and explain to them what terrorism is, what its impact is on society, so they can gain a fuller understanding of the phenomenon so that they don't come up with judgments of giving people time served or letting people go completely. This has to stop because we're going to have more cases like this and Canadians' trust in the judicial system is going to ebb away further and further and that's rarely a good thing in a democracy. Anyhow, that's what I think. Curious what your views are on the Peshtari case and on the decision to basically let him go after another 21 months in jail. Love to hear your feedback. You can reach me on email, borealisrisk at gmail.com or on Twitter at borealisaves. You can also find me on LinkedIn and on Facebook. If you like this content, want to get more of it, go to the website, borealisthreatenrisk.com, hit the subscribe button. You get free daily ad- access to all the pods and blog podcasts and blogs. I've done that mistake twice now. Podcasts and blogs, including Canadian Intelligence Day, longer conversations with people from around the world on national security issues. I'd also like to reiterate that my latest book, The Peaceable Kingdom, A History of Terrorism in Canada, Confederation of the Present, has been republished by Double Dagger Books in Toronto. It's available on Amazon.ca. Love to hear your feedback, some ideas for future podcasts. We'll talk again soon. Until then, take care.